0: The cord button has been pressed so it is time for as it really seems to be going somewhere joel's finding the flow like real philosophical sort of discussions you know when people get high <laughs> it's
1: pure joel don't count your fans before the hit. <laughs> but we hit
2: a flow in the conversation. Um, i
1: think i'm Open I mean, I'm in my mind
0: with... I think I'm going to hit. Finding the Flow with Joel Franklin. Today's guest is my dad, Scott Franklin. Um, it's going to be the first part of the two-part interview. Um, we got real random And we got a good taste of my dad. That was <clears throat> that was me playing the flute uh, Dan and I were talking about um, welcome to Joel uh, finding the flow with Joel uh, episode number 18 we are getting up there we are hitting the precipice uh, the the standard um, that was set by butt sex got us to episode 20 or maybe one or two more than that I, I think it might have been episode 20 was our last. Um, and and I don't see this slowing down anytime soon, so it's it's exciting. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I just played some uh, Final Fantasy music. Dan and I had been nerding out in that all week. Um, mainly, uh, Dan Dan have probably having the time to to or has done in the past, you know, to show me all these uh things he's found and looked up of of interesting like real instrument sound clips of, uh, people doing Final Fantasy VI music, and, uh, it is just, it's, it's spectacular, um, really, really amazing things, and, I mean, just, it, that music's great enough on its own in the video game, and then just to hear it with the real, real instruments, it, it is spectacular, um, <clears throat> I'm just getting my levels up a little bit, I think it was a little quiet, So, uh, um, let's see, let's, uh, move on to replies really quick. Um, Chris, your intro (laughs) is hilarious. I love this, uh, this tit and tat, uh, people's intros going back and forth. Uh, everyone's kind of getting their intros, um, happening. Uh, uh, Scott's got his, I got mine and and Dan and, and, Dan has this thing, you know, he has his, uh, Year of Our Lord, (laughs) well, his, his, you know, saying the date, and and a few other things, and then, uh, I don't know if Chris has gotten any particular intro yet, but he definitely always has something fun at the beginning of his episodes, um, so, uh, either way, his intro was hilarious last week, because he, um, he copied Scott's, uh, thing, um, the whole, (laughs) Shiva. Shiba, (laughs) take me away, oh, I love it, and it's true, it does just transform you, uh, getting into Scott's podcast, and it's fun, and then, of course, Chris's uh, um, meow, 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 and he really did have a very good, um, it was like a, um, like a Weird Al level, um, of parody, and I, I liked it, um <laughs> uh weird al meaning like just high quality you know plays the song live better than probably the person that originally has done it and uh and also you know and then basically just changes the words around but yet yeah, that's that's very quality as well um let's see uh your villain song that was fun um i i feel I've never had, I was always, when I was in musicals and things, I was always the um, the lead good guy, the hero kind of person, or I don't know if hero, but the, the protagonist. And it would have been nice to have had a chance to be the villain. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know at that point in my, my development that I was ready to be able to do the villain because, you know, you have to... I think you have to be able to transform yourself more. I mean, everyone can be a good person, you know, it's just practically being yourself, you know. But uh, to be a bad person, that's that's definitely something different. And then to write for a bad person, like Chris making that song, I bet that was really fun. Um, Scott, uh, it was funny to hear about your pool hustle. Um, yeah, you know... <laughs> Oh, what sad losers! I mean, maybe, maybe to them they were, uh, they were, you know, that's their job. You know, that's that's the money they uh, they make during the day. And you know, I mean, with with a ju- thing like that, you could probably pull off twenty bucks an hour or more. You know, I don't know how much. I can't remember how much they got out of out of Scott, but uh, um, Joe Rogan says over and over again that pool, the name pool, was based on uh not anything to do with the game but it had to do with the fact that it was a betting game it was always a betting game and so there's always a pool of money bet on the game and hustlers and stuff like that it was always part of the nature of of billiards is is the gambling end of it that's so i thought that was funny um Then also the upgrade talk, talk about iPods and upgrades and everything. Ooh, we got the new iOS uh, seven and whatnot. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it it does. It's pretty easy to see through the bullshit if you look there. That you know, um, that these incremental uh, upgrades are sometimes so incremental that it's just it's you obviously can see that it's just a money making scam almost. You know, and, and you get the new upgrade and then you find that your hardware doesn't work on it. So you have to get the new hardware and then, and then you got the, then you finally your hardware and software work. And then that gets you in about two years until they make the next generation. Um, and you always have to upgrade or else, you know, you're behind or something, I don't know, I mean, it. it I, I do get the feeling, I mean, especially when you see someone else using it, I mean, it's so quickly you can be like, oh, I need that, but, uh, you know, especially nowadays, I mean, it's the difference between one a faster processor than the last is usually very nominal at this point, you know, because, like, okay, my processes get done in a second, now my processes get done in .7 seconds. Oh, you know, like I'm really gonna even notice. Um, <clears throat> so either way, like my iPhone four that I have is perfectly fine, perfectly like like just just as far. I mean, you can't ask for much better for what it does. I mean, there might be new features on on you know that that we. I can't, uh, imagine at the moment, but for all the features that it does, I can't say that I've had much experiences of feeling like it was slow, like it was too over, you know, that it was clunky or whatever. I mean, for the most part, it's just pretty smooth, even with the internet. I don't know. It's, uh, I guess, well, you Apple guys out there, I'm sure it could get better. I mean, th- th- there is glitchy stuff, um, but for the most part, yeah, this, the whole game of upgrades and everything. Keep to the point, Joel. Yeah, jerk. You know, stop meandering. So anyways, uh, Dan, um, I just catched your last episode um, just like an hour ago. And uh, that was, um, it was very nice, as usual. You, I always enjoy your, your podcasts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, you mentioned again the 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 fact that you think, that you believe that I um, have had experience with bullies. And funny enough, I I had wrote down some questions for Chris. Chris is uh, requesting us make questions for him by Sunday. And one of my questions I wrote down was uh, name some of your bully experiences. Like I didn't even ask whether he was bullied or not. I just I just assumed that he was. I assumed that all of us were just like Dan was. And I just thought that was funny. Um, it seems like, like I get caught in that a lot. You know I mean? I, I just, I, we're all, we're all thinking about the same things. It seems there's a lot of things come up and, um, so yeah, bullies. So, so that leads me to thinking about, uh, any bully situation I might've had. Um, you know, Dan was kind of talking about that uh, seventh and eighth grade misery, and then eventually getting to the point where you got to be the big pe- person, and uh, how how you know he ended up being a bully. And uh, I think that that's kind of like just like a, the abused end up being the abusers. It's it's uh, it's, it's like an understanding of the world. Um. I just, uh, got a bid on eBay. I hope that doesn't make too many noises after that. (laughs) Man, uh, that, that, it does really, I mean, all those little noises, I just got a little drip of dopamine there, but that just meant that I, I got a bid on eBay. I've actually just started selling things on eBay, and, and that, uh, that's a whole other thing in itself. Um, maybe I'll talk about that later, but either way. Um, so, bullies. Um, I... I just always had some sort of, um, you know, I wasn't your, uh, you know, I wasn't cool by any means. But um, the funny thing about me is that I, I was kind of interesting because, I mean, I was basically all out a a a nerd or or a, or a very um, socially inept person all the way up to the point where I pretty much to the point to which I started getting involved in like group activities, which was about fifth, sixth, seventh grade, um, started playing sports, started playing, uh, um, in band and, uh, and chorus and everything. And I would shine in those groups. I would, I would show that I was quite skilled and, um, uh, and so, so it, it, you know, led me to, it, you know, with the lacking I had in the, the social circles I made up for, for my, uh, physical ability, um, and, and mental ability, um, and it's, it's, it's funny, um, so, so, yeah, I had some bad bullying still always throughout all that because, you know, there's just always some jerk that like to take advantage of that stuff. Now, Dan always talked, was talking about how a lot of these people ended up, you know, getting kicked out of school anyways. Um, and I don't know if I had that many, like, like deviant people picking on me. I just had just just nasty sort of... Uh, there's always someone, you know, that wanted to point out the most embarrassing thing and I had a lot of embarrassing things about me, and uh, and I was very sensitive to that stuff. I didn't I didn't uh, stand up to any of it, and uh, so it just continued to happen. And you know, I just shake it off, but really I didn't. You know, I just you know I just kind of ate it up alone. You know, um, and without the friend support, which I didn't really have for a long time, it was. You know, it was it made school just a a place I didn't want to be. You know, it's it's a it was it was had no angles that I really enjoyed it except for the actually the education part. I liked I liked the subjects in school. I liked uh, I didn't like the homework, but I liked the subjects. I liked learning, but I didn't like the social aspect of it at all. Um, I just didn't understand why. You know people would want to be bad, you know, were so, so driven to be bad, um, and so, yeah, I got a lot of that, and then I had that interesting dualism even more so when I moved over to another school in eighth grade, at the end of eighth grade, and, uh, um, I had mentioned this before, I just kind of, you know, uh, started taking care of myself more, um, looking better and whatnot, you know, common adolescent kind of awareness. And, uh, and marked with the ability to start things over at a new school, I was still couldn't get away from me being me. I still had my things that made me, you know, a nerd. But at the, that, that point from, from eighth, ninth grade on, I was really good at sports and I was really good at, Uh, music, and with those two elements, I was almost like a school star in some ways, but yet I was so socially inept that it almost made me an even bigger target, you know, it's like, uh, well, there's, there's a lot of examples, but yeah, anyway, I was, I was a big target, and, and so I got it sometimes, and I, I was not good at it, I, I had this thing, I had a very kind of rough relationship with my brother, James, when I was younger, like he used to be very, he would, he would get in fights with me all the time. And so I had this kind of adversity to conflict as well. And so whenever I got these thoughts in my mind that I wanted to punch someone back, I wanted to hit him back. Because if you think about it, you know, if I'm a good sports guy and everything and I blah, 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 you know, obviously I was usually not the small one in this bully situation. I wasn't like being intimidated by big you know, stronger people as much. And, you know, and usually I could fight back or whatever, but, uh, but kind of part part of what made this go on as long as this was that whenever I felt this, the, the feeling of wanting to hurt someone, that's when I would break down and I would start crying. I, I, there, I was uncontrollable. I would not cry in the scenarios where you think I'd cry. I wouldn't cry when I got hurt. I wouldn't cry when there was like, you know, um, sad situations that, uh, whatever. But if I got really, really angry or really embarrassed and I wanted to say something or do something that was, that would make someone judge me as being, you know, a fight fighting or doing something bad, I would just break down. I would, uh. I would, I could not handle it, and, um, so I was just like a, I don't know what you call it, a giant softy, and, and so, yeah, bullying is, it's terrible, it's, um, but then another part of it is that it's so, it's kind of necessary, I mean, if if you tried to eliminate bullying from schools, you know, it's just another Uh, example of us meddling with the natural way that things are and I mean looking back on it I mean if if you don't if you don't kill yourself I mean bullies are you know kind of toughen you up you know they get you a a little bit of jolt of the real world that there's a lot of people out there that are just plain jerks for no reason And, uh, there's a lot of people with different perspectives out there and you find that out pretty abruptly once you're out of the the bubble of, of, um, of childhood, of the bubble of, of, um, of not being, you know, responsible adults in the real world. Um, so it's kind of a hard thing. I, uh really know, but I just know the pain that I felt. I mean, do I really want anyone else to feel that? I don't know. Is there a world where we don't have to have people that have had that experience of pain? I mean, I I was talking to someone about the fact that, you know, it's inherent in in people to have pain. It's inherent to, um, I mean, giving birth is painful. Being the baby going through that, I think is painful as well. Um, I was talking about getting your teeth is a painful thing. I'm just saying like, these are things that are painful without you even considering, you know, accidents or anything. These are things like that just naturally happen that give you pain, but then there's pain of growing up. There's, there's, um, there's pain in all sorts of situations. Like, um... I mean, even if you're not feeling pain doing something, you might feel pain if you do a lot of it, you know? Um, like, if you if you do a lot of walking, you'll feel pain in your legs and everything. And our, our bodies are, are trained with pain. Suffering, you know? I mean, uh, the survival instinct might just be just a byproduct of the fact that it's so painful to die. Um... So, uh, so bullies might be just another social example of the pain that we have to endure to grow and to understand how to to behave better and might be just to fucking stand up for yourself sometimes. I know I've, I don't even know if I've ever really accomplished that. I don't think I could handle a bully even today, but, um, I think that, I mean, there's plenty of them in the real world. Um, and then also, uh, engineering versus being an artist. Ah, uh, I I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, Jesus Christ, yeah. Dan was saying about how um, doing this like half the time you're thinking like an engineer and half the time you're thinking like you know like an artist. Um, and it would be just so nice to be able to just let someone else do it. Uh, which is pretty much what done in the provincial end, you know, I mean, I, uh, I mean, it's not that I don't, I mean, it's true. I don't, I don't understand half the stuff because I haven't really paid, you know, the, the the dues, the time to really, to learn all the engineering stuff. But I know I could, I could be on top of that, but I mean, I know the basics enough to make a decent production. But half the time I'm just like bogged down by even thinking about having to do that, you know. Um, And not just engineers are out there that surrounded by artists, but there's also um, uh, managers, um, producers, you know, uh, agents and stuff like that. All these people that are around the artistic field that most time are not uh, nearly as doing an artistic job um but yet are so necessary to to kind of um, coddle to the people that are that are the artists and just to let them still be doing just the art solo and for and focusing on that and that would be so nice if i could just focus on you know the content and the 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 artistry and everything instead of having to focus so much on the technical bullshit um, but I, I think I'm pretty blessed with the R24. I think it, it, it's got its limitations, but it's also got its bonuses for the live end of it. Um, I have control of a lot of things. I hear back in real time. I'm uh, Everything's in real time, and I have the access to 24 tracks in real time. Um, you know, uh, let's Joel see. Joel has a big dick. There, that's Joel a, has a big dick. That's on a loop. Joel oh, yeah. has a big dick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this one I got, I can, uh, you know, bring up at any time. Joel is amazing! You know, nice, nice and live. Joel is Uh amazing! (laughs) Uh-huh. And, and of course, uh, Scott's laugh. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I definitely have some limitations, but I mean, I, um, I, for the most part, I like the fact that, uh. I don't have to deal with a computer because I think sometimes when you deal with computers, uh, they're you know like it's a secondary function to, to run audio production software on a computer, and um, for the most part you're fine. But I mean when it starts getting into like um, uh, software and effects and and uh, uh, instruments and playback and and uh, real time effects and everything. It starts to bog down a computer real easily, and um, I remember dealing with that sort of stuff. And so, I'm kind of happy to have something that's not a computer. I'm happy to have this all in one little situation, and I could easily make this production a little better. I I, I really am just lazy. At the fact that I use the onboard microphones, but I could easily, you know, well, first of all, I gotta find my microphones, but I could easily get get the microphone situation better. Um, <clears throat> and I could have multiple headphones, multiple microphones. I could have eight microphones into this goddamn thing. I mean, I am set, motherfucker. And it's super portable. Um, so, moving on. Uh, Breaking Bad. Saw the fi- finale. Uh, it was, it was like candy, man. It was, it, 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 it was like all the, the loose ends, all the struggles, all the frustrating things, they just like, like cured it all. Um, I liked it. Um, but I also got to tell you how I watched it. I watched it. Um, there is a thing called a slurry store over it. Uh, it's basically, imagine like the bottom of a silo, uh, cut off about two stories high. Um, uh actually, Chris has gone in there with me. It's like an echo chamber we we played I played flute and he played um, he played uh, the guitar and it echoes you know you say hi and there it goes hi hi hi, hi hi you know and, uh, and and it's a really cool space and it's got concrete floor and they're not using it because they have a slurry uh, um, pond now. Um, that's kind of the new practice. The, the industrial standard is to have a slurry pond. Basically they pump all the shit and piss from all the cows, uh, into this pond and then, um, take big trucks over to it and, and, uh, disperse it over their fields eventually. Um, so they, they used to put it in this, this thing and now it's empty. Um, so it's just this big empty amphitheater. And so what I did is I took the inside wall and I painted it white um, a section of it, white, about uh, maybe a maybe 22 feet by 40 feet, maybe 40 feet wide, 22 feet tall. I'm not really sure, but it's it's basically like a kind of a medium size drive-through screen or or a theater screen. And I got a projector a while ago, and I put my projector on that. It bright and beautiful, shows up like shows up amazing. And then I got a little Bluetooth um, uh, speaker set up that, that's portable and runs on batteries. Uh, and, and, and then I got my tablet that's playing the movie. So the only thing that needs to be plugged in is the projector. And I have freaking got a home movie theater. Um, a home drive-in theater, really. And uh, it is freaking amazing. And the sound is really good because it travels really nicely. It amplifies uh, the sound. And so I watched Breaking Bad, the last episode there, all by myself. <laughs> and, uh, cause, you know, it was too late for Sarah. Um, and, and Sarah, Sarah was kind of upset me we doing it, but I was just like, it's kind of like, if, if, if Rush was in town or, or if, if a, a band was in town that I really wanted to see, um, then I would, uh, if if it was Bannon, I really want to see, I would take the sacrifice of staying up a little late, you know, or going there by myself or having to do something. I mean, um, you know, you got to live a little bit, you know, uh, you can sacrifice some sleep sometimes if you're, if, um, if it's a matter of, uh, doing something amazing. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, to have that experience and it was, it was so fun. Um, so yeah, so yeah, like I said, it, it tied up all the loose ends, it was so perfect, like it made everything came out just just right, and like I said, i was always been rooting for Walt, I mean it basically was, was a total like, um, you know, like you loved Walt at the end of that, you know, he was awesome, uh, and I, I'd like to kind of end it with that feeling, you know, uh, uh, just a, classy well-made series like Dan was saying just for for you know coming out on five five uh five seasons before for it got too stale for it, for it seemed like they were stretching the the concept because you loved the characters too much but there really wasn't anywhere to go with the story and and just letting letting it end there and to end it so uh I don't know, just, just with such a good feeling at the end was a real treat. You know, it was, I don't, but basically the way that the Breaking Bad has been, um, throughout the whole series, it, it kind of makes you feel like, okay, you never know what's going to happen. You know, it could end like really positively like it did, or it could have easily ended differently. And that makes me, um, brings up that, that Dan had sent me a link to, uh, New York Times review of Breaking Bad, and um, it was uh, very interesting. It basically was sp- going point by point of how how unlike realistic that last episode was. It was basically a very very critical point of view that that uh, said. I mean, basically. You know why we had such a, a gripping, realistic show. Kind, of, well, kind of. I don't know, but just, just to to the to the benefit of the show, it would have been so much better if, if you know, Walt was able to just be, just to die. You know, um, just to to end up like not being able to, you know, get revenge or to to set everything straight. You know. For him to to be caught, or for him to to die by himself, or whatever, would have been uh, a much more like um, oh, like like a a frustrating but realistic kind of come up and come up and I guess I am trying to remember exactly, but I, it makes sense to me that to think that that ending. Is the more real sort of feeling, and 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 it's kind of interesting because that really was on the line. I mean, it could have gone so many ways, and uh, the fact that they chose that was very much a big decision. I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised if they even filmed a different last episode. And, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it would make sense to me, you know, that that they were they would not have known what really to use. I don't know if I would have been able to make that decision, you know should Walt die in glory, or should he die in, in despair and frustration, and, and, uh, and, I don't know, I, I don't know what to choose, because I kind of am in the middle there, too, I, I kind of like sometimes when the endings are, um, I like when the endings are, uh, uh, melancholic, unsatisfying I mean that that is something that that gets me times because you know you really to feel that feeling at the end of a movie is so hard and strong even if it's a negative one the fact that you're feeling something uh, at the end of a movie really can is the difference between whether you like something or not and so, some people might not like a scary movie, but they definitely a lot of people would agree they're feeling something. And if you're feeling something, then there's going to be a fan. There's going to be definitely fans of that because we want to feel. And so, I don't know how I'd want to choose, but I'm kind. I think I think in the end, I'm glad that they chose to end Breaking Bad that way. And I I was at the edge of my seat, and I loved every minute. And the funny thing about that is that I. I'm back in the bay. I, I talked about how I watch Adventure Time. I can watch Adventure Time like two or three times. Um, they're short episodes. They're 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 usually standalone. Um, sometimes even even the non standalones, but that they're just I don't know. I can watch them a million times, and it's and I discover new things. Uh, it's it's sometimes more fun than the last. You know. Um, but, but I, I just, just kind of, um, cause I was a little bit, uh, like looking for something to do the other day. I, I decided to put on the final episode again and I start watching a couple of minutes ago and I was like, no, I can't watch this again. And it's, it's true. Those sort of things like Breaking Bad are, are really not something I would buy like a DVD set of or anything because I just, I couldn't find myself watching it again, there, there's too much of that element of, like, when you don't know what's going on, that makes it, and once you, when you do, that it's all just, it seems so slow, and it seems so, so, it seems like a waste of time, um, but, uh, when you're actually watching it for the first time, it's amazing, and so, I just think that's interesting, um, and I think that sums up all. Oh, I was going to talk about the eBay thing. Um, so I'm selling things on eBay. I've I've never done that before. Um, I'm getting bids, though small ones. Um, and uh, it's fun. It's fun to, to try that out. I mean, it's it's a fun way to get rid of stuff because I sure sure know I got some shit that I've been holding on to because I can't throw you know just throw it away. Um, but this whole idea of selling it on eBay, I mean, I, I, actually got the eBay app for the iPhone and then I saw this, you know, the thing for selling and I was like, you know what? I think I can do this. It, and, and is there phone, the cameras right in the phone, everything's so easy to do. It, I mean, I've been selling them all through the phone and it's really a piece of cake. Um, I got, uh, I got probably seven bids going on. Oh, I got seven products. All all for sale right now and um in between all those I think I've gotten I don't know <clears throat> twenty bids or something like that. Um that was me. <laughs> I think I've got twenty I think I've gotten twenty bit bid uh bids or something like that, and uh the highest one being bid on right now is a tricolor cartridge. Um, though I have HDMI cables, I have uh, uh, old uh, uh, laptop plug, I have a, a acoustic pickup, I have a PSP component cable, and some RAM and and a and a hard drive, and it is it it, it <laughs> I've I found a new dopamine, I found something new for me. Uh, and I'm I'm enjoying it, and um, I just got all the packaging from from the from the post office, and I am I got everything in its packages, and I'm just waiting to see who wins. Um, and also, part of me knows that when, on the other side of eBay, I know that the the prices you know tend to to be or the bidding tends to be kind of low activity in the beginning uh but right in the last like couple hours it tends to tends to really you know speed up and i'm excited to experience that on the other end of it and see how, how much money i'll make in the last like few hours so i'll let you know about that <laughs> um it also makes a fun noise it makes like a like a harp noise and I, I like that. I remember one time I heard that. I was like, that's not one of my noises. And then I look and eBay, you got a bid. Yeah, buddy. Well, let's move on to the interview with my father. Um, my father is, uh, is an interesting man. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe. We, we jumped onto so much uh, stuff uh, in this interview, that I, I can't even tell you what's, um, uh, everything, but, um, you, you can listen and find out, and I hope you, hope you do, because I think, um, all in all, what the glue that hold, held this conversation is that it's just, um, it's thoughtful, it's philosophical, and, um, And it's interesting, um, when, when it's not getting too, too involved, too deep, but yet even the too deep part, I hopefully you I, I, kind of let some things go in when it was starting to get a little bit too off the deep end, because I felt like, I felt like it was, it was painting a picture, um, more than, than what the content was. And I, I thought that was, that was interesting. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the interview with my father. I almost have my whole nuclear family. I have one more brother to go. Um so my father, Scott Franklin. <laughs> All right, the record button has been pressed, and now uh, we have our interview with my dad, Scott Scott Whitman Franklin. Um, we are both, <laughs> here's the setting, we are both uh, drinking a beer. I am drinking a Southern Tier Double uh, 2X Rye, and um, Dad is drinking a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Dad's not used to really drinking heavy beers in general or or even heavier beers like these ones. But I think he'll he'll handle it for, for this occasion, um, uh, though he's lightweight now. How much do you weigh now, Dad?
1: Oh, somewhere between 140 and
0: 145. 140 and 145. I mean, you know, right, that sounds skinny to to today's standards, but, uh, you know, and how tall are you, Dad? 6'1". Six 6'1". One. Six one. So that sounds skinny to today's scanners, but I mean, if you think about back in the day, back in the right, you write dad. I mean, back in the thirties, twenties, it was it was common for, oh, yeah. for yeah. men to be skinnier.
1: And, and who is it, the the guy that uh, uh, founded uh, Pakistan?
0: Founded Je- Pakistan? Jenna. Jenna. Okay.
1: He was like. Well, he wasn't quite six feet tall, but he was tall, and he only weighed like 120 pounds. Oh, wow. Or
0: maybe not even that. Founded Pakistan. So that yeah. must have been, what, the 50s? 40s. 40s? 40s, yeah. That was, that's an interesting course, historical thing in the world.
1: The father, Mahatma Gandhi, he was a tiny little thing. He He only weighed something like 80-some pounds.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so there you go. I mean it's it's just like um there there's definitely like anorexic skinny or whatever, but um but I think my dad's a healthy skinny. I and mean, and do you have a, a reason for being skinny, right? Oh yes. I, I wanna live a long time. Yeah, and that how old are you right now? I just turned sixty seven in August. Yeah. Sixty seven. And I I mean I'll tell you right now, you know, he he looks very good shape, uh, you know. Still, still um, looks quite spry and whatnot. Um, not not skinny, but muscular.
1: And I walk a mile a day with the dog. Yeah, most days. If I'm short of time or I'm really gonna have a hard day, I'll maybe do it half of that.
0: Now you used to be kind of more meaty, right?
1: Well, I had to work to put on weight. I could work out, and I gained fifteen pounds in pump and i'd work for work out hard i could work out very hard but after 2 months i'd start running out of energy and i'd have to back off and i'd lose that 15 pounds again i'd go from 185 back down about 172 <laughs>
0: or 3 i'm always when i when i'm lifting weight i actually i've kind of uh ever since maybe 5 or 6 years ago i've kind of s- leveled off at about 220 225 um, and even if I'm working out or whatever, it just all kind of shifts the muscle or fat no matter what, it seems to hover right around that same weight for me. And you, on the other hand, I mean, I know if I really let things go, I would skyrocket so fast. Um, but with you, it's funny how you kind of even battled to just get weight on, you know?
1: Well, I did hit 188 pounds once when I was at the University of Montana, but I was working out. It actually was a physical fitness course, and I wasn't doing any stomach work, so that 188 was not as good as my usual 185. But I did a lot of stomach work. I did uh, straight legged sit ups
0: with a weight behind yeah. me. My... Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, you, you, I, I see you. You had a lot of time to kind of work out, and you, you did a lot. I, how old were you?
2: Well,
1: it was kind of how old were you though? When I started?
0: Yeah, well when you were at University of Montana.
1: <clears throat> oh, let's see, that was just before I went in the Marines. Oh I was I was seventeen when I graduated from high school, so I was just turned eighteen when I went to Morrisville. So I was two years at Morrisville. Twenty. Eighteen, 19, 20 when I graduated. Then I went to the University of Montana. So I was uh, 21.
0: Okay, yeah, and that, that kind of matches up pretty much with me. I was at kind of my peak like physical condition, which was at a similar actual weight, too. I was like right around 190, and mm-hmm. I was at my peak physical condition right around that same age, 20, yep. 19, 20, 21. Um, I had like a six-pack, you know. I, I that, that was when Chris uh, Chris Roseland, he saw me do the uh, fa- fashion so, show for the black student alliance I, I, yeah, and there was a underwear scene and um, I remember Chris was like my biggest fan out there <laughs> I invited him he was in my Spanish class that was some of the first time we got to know each other because he lived in Hamburg and that was kind of a connection over there you know um yeah. yeah so far was, away from
2: home yeah
0: <laughs> i just remember that that was that was funny i i had one person i knew out there and i just i just did it on a whim i was like a oh, fashion show i'm just trying things out you know
1: i had two goals as far as my strength building and i didn't make either of them one was i wanted to hit 200 pounds body weight <clears throat> the other thing was i wanted to be able to do a one-arm pull-up
0: <laughs> in which way like like holding your wrist with the other no, arm?
1: no 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 real a real one arm pull
0: like a monkey pull up
1: yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, there's not many people who can do that they say president eisenhower when he was a young man he could do five wow with one arm
0: that's something it takes a lot of strength yeah man dad so um i don't know i'm feeling like like want to find direction here so we're both drinking this. Uh, the cheers. other part, cheers. <laughs> the other part of the scene is that we're both um, sitting on the bed. I thought that'd be nice, you know. I mean, it's there's not. Nice. I, I actually have dad in the studio, which is very rare. I think the only other studio guests I've had were my wife and uh, the Amish guy.
1: So. Well, your mother was down here for a while.
0: Yeah, but um, my actual interview I put out was uh, was a phone call interview. And, um, so, uh, anyways, I, I just thought that was, that was fun, you know? So, so dad, you are kind of like, like just a little bit right over, you, you can be very much taken away by the systematic order of things or, or process or whatever. And, um... Um, you know, I think that, that kind of is something that we all kind of share. I think it's, it's sort of a man trait, but it's also something that we, inherited from my grandfather. Yeah.
1: But I, I, uh, have learned to deal with it, but <clears throat> I didn't know for most of my life what it was exactly that I was
0: burdened with. <clears throat> As your grandfather on your father or mother's side? My mother's father. Okay
1: because my mother was very much like I am. It's hard to believe. And I know it didn't well, How come how would you describe that you are? Uh well, very focused. Uh I miss a lot around and it goes on around me. I have no short-term memory. But actually it's not as bad as all that. I can uh, pick things up, but it, I, it takes a little longer, you know. It's like uh, when we're doing our song uh <clears throat> well, like in my music lessons, I the first time through a song, I generally don't do so good. But the second time, I'm honed in, and I pick it up. Or I watch a movie. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> the, I'll watch it the second time, and then I'll get everything, but I have to... I mean, I just have to understand every single little detail before, it, you know, it all and gels. I, I,
0: well, you see, I've kind of analyzed Ugh. this same sort of thing because I think I got it too, which is, no, I, it, it is the focus part. You know, there there is the element of focus because um, Todd, I think, has kind of talked of it as like being ADD. And I, I kind of wonder if that, that is part of it. No, but, no. But, no, 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 but no. what it, what I feel like, what happens is I get caught, like I get trapped in one thing. Like for instance, someone goes and says, the, the you know, the, the, the hoister is is underneath the tent, and you're going to have to break the the wing man to get it down. And so I'll, I'll be stuck on the word hoister, you know, thinking, okay, what is, what is hoister? What is hoister? And and then, and then I won't even hear the rest of what he said, you know, and, and part of me wonders, okay, maybe this is something that is, it's makes it particularly hard for me to pick up cues and stuff like that. But then again, also like there is an element that everyone has that Everyone goes between you know like like they're they're walking to a room and they get into a room and then they forget why they got there you know they they get caught up in what they're thinking about, and I think we just particularly get caught yeah. up in it more
2: oh
1: i uh i really uh, uh made pastor laugh the other day
0: pat who's pastor
1: he's the Mexican I work with,
0: yeah. At Collins. So, where do you? What do you work? Do you, you work at Mamosers as well, right? Yes, yes.
1: Yep. And well, uh, you know that. Joel. Yeah, I
0: know, I know that. I'm I'm just um talking. But guys. our
1: our worldwide audience doesn't know
0: that. Yeah, in all the world. Well, now they do. I so, work there. So he works yeah. for the same farm that I do. Like about um, thirty miles north of here, he he does my old job. The the heifers. Um, and, you, and he has one, one guy that works with him, pastor. He's a he's a Mexican.
1: It's a physical job, and it's actually got me in the best shape I've been in years.
0: Yeah, uh, I I'm was, in pretty good shape too. I found
1: that the, the not eating uh, it uh, was actually affecting me in ways that maybe weren't so good. But uh, I uh, it, there's kind of a, a fine balance there. You know, you, you want to, uh, you know. Stay, uh, well, not anorexic, but, I mean, you want to uh, not overeat. But then there's the other thing about activity. I mean, the body uh, is healthy when it's when it's active. Uh, that's not to say, like, uh, bodybuilding-type active. I mean, walking is, is sufficient. I mean, you, when you go through developmental, like, windows, I mean, there, there's a time to develop your body when you're young. And you get strong, get the pump, and
2: have all that fun. And yeah,
0: and you you seem to understand that. I don't I don't know how many kids you did that with, but you did definitely did it with James, Sean, and I. Like at a very young age, like like twelve, thirteen. You you uh, showed us proper form and proper exercises.
2: Well,
1: David came to me and he asked me for the tips, and I I told him you know to prevent uh, to prevent uh, hurting his back and hurting his knees. You know, I showed him the right way to.
0: The yeah, I mean so basically all of us had a little advantage during those like you're saying the the window of of development I, I think yeah. we all had good windows of development and we might get fat here and there but our base base uh f- figure physique is is advantageously better. Huh. Well
2: uh. Let's
1: see yes, what i got to say.
0: Yeah. All right. I think that's great. So yeah, were you a, talking about a different developmental window that you had? Well,
1: uh, it's just what I've come to believe. You know, like I, how I talked to you about having the, the children um, chew, chew on things, you know, in order to develop their jaw. Because once they're past five years old, that's a developmental window that's shut. Okay. And if they didn't get the proper exercise, they're, they're more likely going to have crowded teeth.
0: Uh,
2: okay I mean, let, let me not, let
0: me put this in and kind of catch you up here so so dad has this theory that you you should at, at as a young age that a lot of our foods nowadays are soft and and very easy to chew and so it gives our jaw no chewing there's no, no chewing meat. whatsoever it's just mush it's like it's pre-chewed for you and uh and you know processed or whatever or just prepared food you always get prepared food And, uh, so dad emphasizes that our body is made to need the, the development of the jaw. And if you don't have anything to, to work it out, you're going to lose that, that structure, that developmental structure. It won't
1: become as large. It won't expand the way it's designed.
0: Yeah. And like we were talking about, you were helping us exercise in good form at the age of 12, 13, because that's when we're starting to become muscular as men at the growth spurt. All right.
1: In, uh. Men seem to fill out in their twenties; they sort of hit their uh, maximum development.
0: Yeah, and so. that that's kind of full circle. We came back to what I was talking about right a while ago about how twenties I was at my physical peak. Um, maybe maybe that could be a question for all you guys out there. You know, maybe if uh, you could let us know what what it was like when you were twenty, like what physique you were in. Um, maybe some of you didn't follow that pattern. Who knows? So,
1: wait a minute. You were born eighty three, so you're just coming up on thirty, isn't
0: it? Thirty this year.
1: Hmm.
0: That's why I'm I'm starting to go flabby. <laughs> Not necessarily. Well, no. see what thirty kind of has has translated to me is that like you're no longer invincible. You can't go full force anymore without worrying about breaking something or hurting something. That you just become a little bit more vulnerable. You're not. You're you're by far not helpless, but you are you are um, a little more prone to to injury, I guess. Um, whether it be back problems, leg problems, knee problems, you name it. Um, and that and then also the your metabolism slowed down a lot, and your your uh, you gain weight easier um at least for me anyways and uh that's that's two well, of the main things
1: the, the, the dangerous years are over I mean the most dangerous time for a man is uh after puberty and before he settles down and gets married or they say age 25 according to the actuarial dangerous
0: table. time you're saying
1: yeah uh men, men take chances and uh, they don't consider they they tend to uh, Take risks that an older person wouldn't. Uh like boys, young really young men are the ones that make the best soldiers because they, like, they'll they'll, they have they'll, no fear. Run the, they'll take the, chances.
0: They'll run the front lines yeah. and follow orders and believe those the 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 chance They have the, a
1: sense of invincibility. Yep. But and
0: also naivety too. Yeah. And
1: it's an age where they can be Easily misled, or it's when, yeah,
0: exactly. Naivety
1: young men tend to form gangs, and uh, it's well, I think it's probably part of it, it, it's not uh, such a good thing, but uh, you know, uh, young men, young men have to learn discipline from y- one source or another, or they can wind up getting in a lot of trouble, and
0: uh, and so. But I mean, young men tend to have good di- discipline. That's ha- that's pretty much the 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 real thing. Is that but well,
1: well, once uh, once a, a man uh, settles down uh, and marries, uh, that generally puts an end to that. I mean, it's like uh, everything changes. Yeah, you become more domestic. And-
0: so Dad, I think. Um, um, let's let's go towards the um your 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 main philosophies um you are by in general a philosophy guy uh uh you i mean philosophical i
1: like to think i have a continual uh, conversation in my head ever since i was ever since i lost my father
0: i turn inward how old are you when you lost your father i was 11 yeah
1: and uh, I've had this internal conversation going on all my life. Yeah. But actually, I, I read just recently here it's, it's actually a good thing because uh, people that do that are are smarter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I the, I I see see that's the other thing. Like I agree. Like, but it, but we you can't. It's so hard to know what smart is especially when you start to, to think about it. And so you can't get too too cocky about it or whatever.
1: I'll tell you something very interesting. <clears throat> you know, a lot of older people go through a, a kind of a process where they become more senile. Mm-hmm. But there's some people that don't, and yet they find that there's changes in the brain that are identical to people that are senile, that some people seem to be immune to the effects.
0: I have heard of that.
1: And it seems to have something to do with uh, the way you use your mind, uh, the way you think. They found that in the nun study, have you heard of the nun study?
0: Yes, <coughs> I have. They, the um, Sure, you go it, say it to me.
1: They had, well, they, they studied uh, older nuns and how their brains were functioning and they found out that they could predict from uh, these autobiographies that they wrote as yeah, ex- uh, the, the, their writing when they got, were young women.
0: Their writing got changed, right, as they got older.
1: No, 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 no. The the way they wrote as young women was a predictor of how they would end up. Oh, yeah, up that's
0: right, that's right.
1: The ones that were uh, uh, more the more sophisticated writers seemed to develop this immunity to senility. Mm-hmm. What I think of it is that you you use a certain part of your brain. I worked in a nursing home and I seen you know all kinds of senility.
0: But what yeah. it is? That's, I mean, that's where they throw them all. The the brain,
1: the mind comes becomes fragmented. I mean, one part is not communicating with the others like like they used to. I mean, uh, uh, they're there, but they're not all there. I mean, quite literally. I mean. Uh, they're they're fragmented, their minds are fragmented, but apparently people that are develop their minds uh intellectually and uh you know, skill wise, they, they they develop this immunity because they must develop part of their mind in such such a way that they can retreat to that part and, and do just fine.
0: You know, I've heard about like like I feel like I I know what that's like because like sometimes I'll have conversations in my head about, like, if I ever find myself in a place where I feel confused or lose my memory, mm-hmm. I have, like, a little reset, like, procedures that I put in my head, like, okay, then tell yourself, okay, you this is what you know, um, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I've just, I know I've had that kind of... Um, like safety mechanism constantly being reinforced in my brain like it's just telling myself over and over again remember whenever this happens to you and and then also like speech and stuff like that if you lose speech you can you can build pathways to speaking again but you just have to go through different areas of the brain and I wonder if that's also kind of part of it, too. It's we are
1: like all actually, we're actually very limited being in a physical body. All um, um, oh, the book I just, uh, I just read, uh, what was the name of it? Eben Alexander wrote it, uh, <laughs> Proof of Heaven or something like that.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But he had an, an out-of-body experience. He was actually brain dead for for six days Mm -hmm. and uh, he says in the spirit his mind was much more expanded, Uh, I mean you just took in everything in an instant, I mean you just understood and he said the physical body is actually a limiting thing it uh, slows you down as far as your mental mental Processing uh, in the spirit, your uh, your your mental attributes are far expanded over what they are when in, in, in the body. So,
0: so maybe you know this, this proof
1: of heaven. I think that's the name of it.
0: proof of heaven. Yeah. So maybe the spiritual mind is like, uh, or the, the the spirit, the mind, the spirit, the 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 the, the thing separated from the, the soul body. spirit, soul spirit
1: the soul it houses the spirit that's the way I was taught in spiritualism i was a spiritualist you know yeah that's where i uh, was
0: you know um this will be good for the second half oh, i sure. got i got plenty of stuff i'd like to t- to ask you about that but um but still I kind of get what you're saying, like, this whole idea of, like, being out out of body and how it could just expand your way of your brain taking in things. Because it is true. It's, like, it seems like we have access to something that is so, like, limitless, but yet there is some limit to it, you know? Like, like it seems like thoughts are limitless, and we have them, (coughs) and we have access to it, but yet we're also seem to be so limited by just whatever mechanisms might be there I mean our physical brain maybe maybe our physical brain is touching on the spiritual realm and uh, but yet it's still just the physical brain and, and we're
1: developed enough where we can uh, like you say get touch it uh, we can understand it. To a, a limited degree, but uh, it's nothing like the, uh, the the complete freedom, the the abilities that you have when you're free of this physical body.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think that would? I mean, if we the closer we get to the spiritual world, don't you think that that gets? It's like it's like a double-edged sword. The more close we get to the spiritual world, the more scary we are on the physical world the more useless we are in the physical world you know like like basically like you imagine like the most spiritual type of people would be like shamans or something like that and they'd be able to like just put themselves in these trances or these acts that will be so kind of like stra- like buddhist monks strange or embarrassing or scary you know well i'm thinking of sh- like i think of a shamanistic like ritual dance like like um whatever
1: they let themselves be possessed and you don't know if it's necessarily a good spirit that's that's uh possessing well
0: whatever it may be i mean just imagine that like how scary that is to the people in the physical realm because the physical like like it 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 basically is is a very big turnoff to a physical minded person to see someone so spiritual to right. see someone be so possessed and a person that is that possessed by the spirit is also very much um not helpful in the physical world they're they're like antithesis they're not pulling in their weight you know as far as that goes like they're not they're not um well
1: that's uh, the way i <sighs> see it the we're in this life and we're meant to to deal with it and i mean it's like our life to live see that's
0: what i'm getting at the spirit
1: being... world anybody can make uh theories or have ideas about it or beliefs or whatever but actually it, it's kind of like secondary not saying it's any less the less important but it's secondary to the life we're living in the here and now yeah uh because you have to deal with what
0: we have to deal with pain and the yeah, survival and pain. and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the physical needs of this realm, and that's that's what I'm trying to to say is that like basically you're getting at that that we are in a place when we're we're, we're physical people. Like I was actually just watching um, Charlotte's Web, and they had they had a very neat quote in there. Um, E.B. White was very very intelligent.
1: He, he said, also did uh, Stuart, yeah. Stuart Little, the, the mouth. Yeah, that just just first very yeah.
0: creative, very you know. Um, but uh, they in Charlotte's Web, Charlotte said, "All you have is a life. All you have is a lifetime. You know, you that's what you got, and so what do you do with it? You know, and, and she, she was talking about how her mortality, and and um,
1: and what makes her all the more precious is that she you sacrificed herself for her
0: for Hmm. her friend so that he could have a good life and it's sad you know but but i mean what she she kind of put it like what else would i do you know she felt like you are my my life work i've made you my life work she said something like that and and it was just such a such a cool um introspective you know thing to talk about you know and that's all we got That's all we got while we're here is a life.
1: And the only other thing that has any real meaning is other people, other lives. Mm Mm-hmm. And animals, too, to a a degree, not quite the same degree as another human.
0: And is that because we all acknowledge that humans are the ones that are really touching into that... um, spiritual realm in such a different way in such a i am i know i know therefore i am or what is, what is the quote
1: uh, um,
0: i think therefore i, I think am. therefore i am yeah that's the real question do animals think like us
1: yeah they do think but i believe they think they don't have language but they think but i also go by uh the bible in genesis where uh Man partook of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, we, we know what's the difference between good and evil, where an animal That is a good point. would not make that distinction. I mean, so, animals, so
0: how does that connect to the spiritual world, good and evil?
1: Well, uh, evil would cause destruction evil would uh, is a destructive force and uh it would destroy everything if it if it could
0: mm-hmm. uh, uh, so but what how does that relate specifically to spiritualism i just i mean uh maybe that's that's too hard of a question but but it no, seemed no, like the no, logical no. S- next step to think that okay, we're talking about um, the thing that really makes humans humans is that we know the difference between good and evil. In this
1: life, we're living in a physical body, we uh, cannot escape evil. There is no no uh, uh, perfection in this life. It it, it speaks of in uh, in the in the gospels. It it speaks of man as uh, uh, men of goodwill peace on earth to men of goodwill. It doesn't say good men. It says men of goodwill, because men who want to do good, men and women who want to do good. Uh, we're all evil. Yeah. Basically because we're selfish. We are individuals, and we seek to preserve ourselves.
0: The survival instinct.
1: And that means that we have to take what could go to someone else. We we take for ourselves ourselves and in the process, we hurt some someone or something else and i you i actually
0: i've I've talked to uh, Scott about this idea of my theory about um about relativity to connections of of closeness like basically our our evolution the trail or the path of evolution is equal to the amount of compassion that we have for whatever it may be. So for instance, we have much more empathy for something that is a human being as well. We have even more empathy for someone that is our family and well, we have the most for ourselves. And then we have the least amount of empathy for things that are farther away. Like next step might be an ape, you know, is evolutionary close to yeah. us. Um, so we have m- more compassion for an ape than we might have for a fish. Um, well,
1: no, people have pets and pets serve a very yeah, good and, purpose. but, because- but
0: like how many pets do you think that are not mammals? So that was the next thing. Mammals, we seem to have a, con- more of a connection to mammals than we do with reptiles or, 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 uh, birds or, or whatever, right?
1: Well, mammals are, tend to be more intelligent and closer to. To our way of thinking. They have
0: eyes like us. They have have physical features. There like are
1: us. Uh, there are some birds that are quite intelligent. But, yeah, uh, that's true.
0: But but you don't seem to get as many natural like connections between a bird as you do between a person and a and a, and a uh, horse or a dog or a cat. No, uh, which are all mammals, right?
1: I I was struck. I'm uh, yeah. With the similarities you know, I'm doing the anatomy I've done the anatomy of cows and I've uh, done anatomy of human beings and i'm 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 doing an anatomy coloring book right now and it's amazing how many how much similarity there is I'm focusing on the spine and certain muscles, but I'm basically reviewing everything but uh, it's uncanny how much pardon
0: for which animal?
1: the cow and the human okay there's a lot of similarities or uh, yeah
0: you see that's what i'm trying to say structure man is very similar there there that like okay you might have a pet iguana and you might like it you know and everything but i if i had a pet iguana that could kill me you know like big enough and whatever i would i would always like feel like it was my pet or whatever but i would still have half a thought in my mind that this thing wouldn't think twice if, if, like a komodo and, and it dragon kill, it would kill me with not even thinking twice a komodo dragon whatever you know some some big lizard basically something that is far far away from i know that able. there's
1: a lot of people that have uh lions and tigers for pets you know those, those are dangerous you know they could uh but make, I bet you you have a better of you. <laughs> yeah you
0: could I bet you have a better chance with those guys than you would with uh, you know with a with a lizard or an alligator or crocodile.
1: Well, yeah, they they think more, but they're, they're basically more, no more than an overgrown cat. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they're so similar. There's. Basically, very little difference. I, I
0: remember the one time I fought like a little, you know, ten pound cat to get it out of the barn. I yeah. had to chase it down and grab it, and I, I, uh, <laughs> I had to, I had this little little cat, this wild cat that I had in the barn, and I had wanted to get rid of it because it was like di- uh, touchy. It would run around like the barn and run from place to place, and it would bite me and stuff like that, and uh, or, <laughs> whatever. But I when I went to grab it. Um, I had, I had got it in a corner and I grabbed it on the neck and then it, bam, it stuck, it's, it's bit me right, right in the wrist and then stuck its claws all up my <laughs> arm <laughs> and I just got it and I just held on to it and I opened up the trunk and threw it in the trunk and then shut it as fast as I could before it, before it ran out. God, grief. Um, but I thought about that weight for weight, you know, like a 10 pound, uh, cat. It probably yeah.
1: wasn't that heavy,
0: was it? Probably not even ten pounds. I mean, exactly ten pounds is heavy for a cat. Like a five pound cat could do that sort of damage. Imagine what a freaking two hundred pound lion could do. I don't know how heavy lions are.
1: And you know, you know what people do? These people that raise lions and tigers, they crossbreed them. With And what? they cross them one way, and they get an animal much larger than either a tiger or a lion. These ligers. I think it's the father is the, uh, <laughs> wait.
0: No way. There's actually a liger.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they do. do you, oh, look well, have, have
0: you ever seen Napoleon Dynamite?
1: <laughs> yes, I've seen Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs>
0: did you Did you ever see his liger? He had a he had a lion tiger like drawing that he made as a you know he was a teenager dork.
1: I don't remember that part. I remember the little muscular man toy that he let drag behind this, the bus
0: yeah <laughs> all right what well, along but, the road but well, anyway either way go see, see that again because well, there, they're they can
1: cross two ways you see they could take a, a male tiger and breed to a female lion or they could take a male lion and breed to a female tiger uh-huh. and i think it's where the male is the tiger but i'm i think but anyway, the one way it makes a huge animal, the other way it makes a smaller animal. The <laughs> lion has a gene that makes the hybrid small somehow. Okay. But these ligers are like 800 <laughs> pounds, 800 to 1,000 pounds. Jesus Christ. When, when you figure the biggest Siberian tiger is something around 500 pounds, the average lion is probably uh, 250, maybe 300 pounds. Okay. And these these guys are a thousand pounds. They're just huge, and these people have them have them for pets. They say, "Oh my gosh, Jesus they seem Christ. to be fairly gentle." But that's,
0: that's bigger than a bear.
1: Yeah, they're. I mean, the bear is the largest carnivore in the world, but and a thousand pound bear is pretty good size. There are some bears that get bigger. Yeah. But uh, I mean, uh, they would definitely rival the size of the largest bears. Yeah. And it's it's artificially produced by crossbreeding, and they figure there's like in the neighborhood of like ten thousand pet tigers and lions in the United States. I mean, people just have them because they want them. They say, you know, we want dangerous pets, and
0: you don't care what you think. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Mike Tyson <laughs> has a tiger, and, and um, what's that movie? Uh, and anyways, yeah, man. I, so, so obviously you got some knowledge in, in the, um, animal front. So, so let's, let's just, uh, un- unveil that part of you. You, uh, your, your passion is animal hus- husbandry, right? Uh, mm, breeding.
1: I like, the breeding because to me it's creative it's a creative act it gives me satisfaction
0: okay so what dad means by breeding is like basically selectively taking traits from from one side of an animal to another and uh combining and and not whatever but basically you know just playing with uh with with combinations well to me it's
1: fascinating but it isn't just random i'm uh, working to uh uh, determine the ancestral forms of cattle and chickens. Uh, my first love was chickens, and then I went to cattle because, in I, it in my naive way, it seemed like cattle were more important than chickens. So
0: basically, you're trying to selectively breed backwards. Yes, you're spri- trying to de-evolve animals,
1: reconstruct the original form. So, so, like, for instance,
0: Sarah talked once about this. We were Project. we were talking about cows, like how they would never survive in the wild. And I was like, yeah, they're basically domesticated from this, like, I don't even know if there is more than one form of cow, but they used to be just a wild cow. And now we have uh, Holstein through hundreds of years of, of selective breeding for milkers.
1: But you'd be surprised. They could go feral quite easily. yeah. We had some Holsteins when we lived on Route 77 that were essentially going wild. And they had to, in the end, they ended up shooting them. There was a bull and maybe half a dozen cows. They tried to catch him on horseback. And this old farmer, he had finally died. That's why the cows were just uh, untended. But he was actually running his Holsteins like beef cattle
0: oh yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and uh you know he's an old man in his 80s and he finally passed away and the cows are running around they caught most of them but there's this one bunch that they could never get and they were just that wild enough that they wouldn't let anybody near them they we'd see them they come out in the evening uh when nobody else was around we'd see them from outside our house mm-hmm. and they came some guys thought they would be smart and they go and rope them with horseback and uh one of the cows turned and injured a horse. You know they had horns, mm-hmm. and they decided that wasn't such a good idea.
0: But basically, ultimately, the cow, the modern cow, couldn't get feral. But 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 I mean, they they, they I guess they could survive on their own, but uh, I mean they're they're they very much like um they're they're human like uh, products.
1: They're uh, well, a product of domestication, uh, I mean, some of it, I mean, people didn't deliberately change them so much as that, uh, just the, the fact that they are domesticated uh, meant that they had to be a certain way in order to survive. The ones that survived were the ones that uh, carried on to the next generation. Yep and they probably didn't always get a lot to eat. Cattle got much smaller once they were domesticated, but it had probably had to do with not enough to eat. Hmm. The uh, aurochs was a huge animal, and they...
0: Oh, the baby. Can
2: we sit
0: and listen? Yeah. So so the aurochs was the old form of the cow, the original yep. cow.
1: The original cow.
0: Yeah. All right, so this is Dad's passion. Basically, you know, the animal breeding and everything and then, like, kind of um, figuring out the traits yeah. of the original forms of, of particular animals.
1: But it takes in a, a great deal. I mean, you, you can't possibly know too much about your, uh, your subject, your animal.
0: You know, there's actually wild horses still in, or wild ponies still in America. I mean, they're... They're feral. Yeah, feral, feral ponies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're uh, Sarah and I went to Shadegig Island. chic What's it called? Shinkatik. Off North Carolina.
2: Shinkatik.
0: Uh, Virginia, right? Virginia? I
2: think it was Virginia.
0: Yeah, Virginia or Maryland. Between those two yeah. states, there's an island yeah. that's like a little bit off off the the coast, and. Um, it's it's cool. It just it's this little sanctuary for wild ponies, and I've never thought that anything like that existed. But I mean, if you think about it, there must have been some wild form of everything That's domesticated nowadays.
2: You'd yeah. Dairy know.
0: cows. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have dairy cows wild.
1: No. No, they're too specialized. Yeah. Uh, but I was telling Joel they can go feral easy enough. And they could probably survive because uh, it's like a rubber band. I mean, you domesticate an animal and you stretch it to make it what you want, but as yes. soon as you take the way that selection pressure, it ping, goes back to the way it was.
0: Because, basically, it's that it's that old survival uh, tra- tendency, right? You know, all well, the way
1: you, it's raised. You know, they talk about uh,
0: epigenetics now.
1: Where uh
0: you know explain that because uh Scott was talking about that too, and uh i i I feel like we could go in more depth of that
1: well, you have uh like methylated um, methylated genes methylated uh, they actually attach on the histones histones the uh in the packaging of the chromosomes they wrap around these histones and you know, it's all neatly packaged. You have uh, miles and miles of of uh, chromosome inside every cell, and yet it, it manages to fit inside a cell. And how does
0: that translate into the the um, uh, you know?
1: What I'm saying that that's that's I'm getting off the subject, but epigenetics means that some genes are turned on, some genes are turned off, depending on uh, uh, how the the physical environment uh, if a young animal is under a lot of stress that shuts off certain genes and turns on others I mean what I'm saying is they could go wild in a, in a generation I mean a lot of that yeah. would kick in
0: yeah and that that's kind of what like um, Scott kind of said something like how sometimes what your grandparents did might have more effect on you than who your parents are um, and meaning that basically like they were talking about how um, people that had had some points of famine, um, that their grandchildren would, uh, have more chance for, I think it was diabetes.
1: Yes, I've, I've, uh, I've read that. Too.
0: Yeah, and, and that, that's kind of interesting, and that had to do with an environmental mm-hmm. stress that happened two generations ago.
1: Yep.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, mm-hmm. diabetes is like the fasting disease. I mean, uh. It in, American Indians tend to develop diabetes easily, but uh, it actually a tendency. It's a kind of like a fine line, but <coughs> it helps you survive. It, it, if you have an elevated blood sugar, if you're undergoing starvation, it would actually be to your advantage to have <laughs> tendency to have diabetes. But if you're well fed. Then it becomes a problem.
0: Yeah, then you're primed for it.
1: Yeah, and the high blood sugar de- destroys your health. It destroys blood vessels and kidney function and huh. it'll kill you. So I, I know, I there was a woman I worked with at the nursing home and really nice lady. Sometimes she'd give me something from her lunch, you know, but she had diabetes and she didn't do a thing about it. I mean, she knew she had it and had a blood sugar of something like 500 however you measure it something per deciliter. Mm-hmm. but uh
0: that's really high
1: yeah she was really high and she never did anything about it and she finally she had to retire her eyes were starting to go and within maybe two or three years she was dead
0: i've seen oh. diabetes like like um you're, you could go blind, you could lose your legs, you could, like, yeah. lose your arms, you could lose circulation to places. You, you
1: get, get neuropathy. You
0: break down, man.
1: Your step-grandfather, Mel, had it. Okay. And he had neuropathy in his feet, you know. Yeah, he, I remember seeing feet his feet. one leg
0: all swollen up.
2: My grandfather did. My dad's dead. And that's yeah. how he finally died. He had one foot amputated, and I think when they amputated the second one, he died.
0: Yeah. mm Yep, exactly. I mean it. Uh, it's it's scary thinking about the sort of way that diseases work. You can
1: live with it, but it takes. You have to have practice. You have to have some discipline. You have to yep. deal with it. Uh, uh, let's see, it was Doctor Hutt had it? Yet he managed to make it till ninety four.
2: You did yeah, lose I mean, a I mean, Imagine
0: minutes. that sort of stress on someone. Like, like the best things in the world might be some things that you like to eat or consume or whatever. Imagine if you just have to basically say, okay, no more. No more for the rest of my life now. Well,
1: you know, I, I feel uh, comfortable with my own food. Like, last night, uh, the girls talked me into stopping at Panera Bread. Mm-hmm. That's why Ella went along, because she had a, I guess... She kind of figured we'd have something to eat after. Anyway, (laughs) I had to squash soup. And I like squash soup, and it was good. But it was actually quite sweet. I thought, hmm. It was almost too sweet for me, to what I'm used to. And then uh, I finished off... I had like a smoothie-type drink, which isn't really what I wanted. but, But all that sweet stuff. I mean, Today... Did a little work, then I had one of my regular sandwiches with the thick bread and the peanut butter and the butter, and you know.
0: Okay, well, so. let me describe one of Dad's sandwiches. I want to
2: hear the rest of this, though. I <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: <well, laughs> oh so yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, yeah, then Keep, I felt well, well, better after but, my but normal. You, you got to understand what a dad's sandwich is. Okay, comparing this to the sugar that Dad was talking about, Dad's sandwiches are like like the most like indulgently hearty like um, sort of sandwiches, but like. With sort of ingredients that you don't like, think about being the sort of indulgent ingredients. So he has two thick whole wheat slices of bread. Okay, mm. you the thicker Very chewy. the better. Like like chewy, chewy is maybe not the word uh, we we would think of, but like chewy in the sense that you have to work your jaw off to get to chew this stuff up. That's what we're well, talking actually.
1: About my incisors are pretty sharp. I can kind of pretty much slice right down through it. Yeah.
0: And so, but and you, so, you, and have that, and then you have like, to then, like, like you... so yeah. much peanut butter that it's yeah. basically like a half inch of peanut butter thick, uh, in in the middle, lined with um, usually some sort of raisins fruit. Either
1: craisins or prunes. I have one craisin sandwich and one prune sandwich. And
0: then, and then slices of banana. <laughs> sometime, but there's always thick about quarter inch um, slices of butter. That it lines up the, I think both sides of the of the bread, right?
1: Well, one side, but it, it is quite a bit. But I, I love butter; it's really good. Yeah. This is salt salt-free butter, though. Salt, salt-free. salt-free. Where do you
2: get the butter? What
1: kind of butter. Uh, uh Tops usually. The top. Sometimes <laughs> wagons. but you it's should, always salt-free. You
2: should try the
0: butter we've been getting the Amish butter. It's yeah. good. Yeah. In, in the spring and right now it's golden because it's all yeah. the grass is growing again. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, and so, <laughs> so there there's an example of one of dad sandwiches. Okay, so so you're saying that in comparison to... to I
1: lived on peanut butter. I lived on peanut butter so much that one year when I went, I was in the guard still. I went uh, for training at Fort Drum and having the usual type of meals, my stomach was upset for a whole week before I finally got used to regular food again. <laughs> <laughs> so I was living on peanut butter sandwiches.
0: Yeah, I mean, peanut butter, right, is one of those uh, well, got it food, all. food items that got it all, right? It's yeah. got protein, fat, uh, c- calories, whatever. Fiber. Fiber. And mm. uh, um, there's there's not many other food items like that. There's like milk, right? Milk's pretty good.
1: Food. Well, I, used to, I was always taught, my parents used to say that milk and eggs are nature's most perfect foods. Yeah. They're used to nourish the young. Well, the egg nourishes the young chick. And milk yours, nourishes the calf, normally, or the baby. Yeah,
0: yeah they're baby food. So it's basically a one-food-fits-all food. Fits all food. <laughs> Ooh, <that's nasty>. Woo! <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. She's sitting up well. So what were you meaning about, so you, you had a bunch of sugar, and then you went and you ate one of your own sandwiches?
1: Well, it didn't feel right to me, and in, in, uh, when I got up, this morning that didn't
0: feel right i mean that kind of food the sweet stuff
1: i mean in my stomach yeah yeah, it yeah. Just so, yeah. i was talking about this before
0: like like you might enjoy the eating part of food but the other six hours after you eat it are important too and if, if you know that you're going to have six hours of pain after you you eat your food or you uh,
1: like manufactured cookies or uh, they, they often they make them like too sweet, too much salt, and too much sugar, and you can taste it. Mm. You see, I I was uh, blessed in the beginning of our marriage because Nancy did not know how to cook.
0: Oh my God!
1: And she didn't use any salt at all. Uh-huh. But in the beginning, and I learned in the, within a couple of weeks, my sensitivity to salt increased a great deal, and then I realized that my cooking at home, my mother's cooking had a lot of salt in it. Yeah,
0: she did have a lot of salt in there.
1: But when you, if you go salt free for a couple of weeks, you found your you find your It's the
0: same with the sugar. I know yeah. when I don't yeah. have sugar for a while, they'll have a Yeah, a I, I started raisin. to like yeah. take it's like pop nowadays. If I if I drink some pop, I really realize how nasty that stuff is. It's like syrup.
1: But I, I do crave Mountain Dew once in a while, but my favorite drink, which I don't indulge in too often because it is kinda of over the top like half mountain dew and half orange juice. And it's really good. Orange oh, juice with a lot of pulp. It.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, so that good. Yeah, that does sound like that'd be good. It's it's going more citrus. I, I never even knew that Mountain Dew was a citrus drink until I, I I found out later on. I actually found out they actually had like chunks of of fruit in Mountain Dew before. Um but but either way, yeah, that would go down the citrus end of Mountain Dew. Uh, that oh. that does sound good. Oh, it is! It is very good. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's yeah. it, it is funny. I mean, yeah. So so basically, you know, it just it that, that is that is interesting. And and those there's the three things that we emphasize. We emphasize sweet, salty. Is that or is it just sweet and salty?
1: Yeah. Well, the, the four yeah. tastes. They say you're you can taste sweet, salt, bitter, and sour. Tart. Sour. 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 Oh, or sour. 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 But they, they, I don't know if they change their thoughts on that. They say smell is what makes for the uh, palate of taste. But I I think the tongue, the taste actually gives you more than just those basic four. I mean,
0: it's it's like the colors of the rainbow. It's like maybe maybe those are the primary colors, but there's everything in between, right?
1: That could be. And you tend to. uh, like foods that are familiar. Yeah. I mean, you get used to certain types of food, and that's what you're most comfortable
2: with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they were talking, like, how how some cultures that don't eat cheese, how gross that would look, especially a stinky cheese. Like, they would think, you know, where we would have a problem with, like, fermented fish up in, you know, dead fermented fish up in Iceland.
1: Well, I see where... uh, I got a Discover magazine yesterday. And they they show where two billion people in the world actually live on insects, you know, grubs and things like that, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, beetles live, like
0: live live on it or like that's part. And
1: it of it, it pr- provides a big part of their diet. Yeah. And
0: Do they farm them?
1: It doesn't. It doesn't go into that. But they they show a whole a line of these big fat grubs on a, on a <laughs> stick.
0: <laughs> oh, man, I, I'd like to try some of that.
1: I had chocolate-covered ants once when I was a kid, you know, just for fun.
0: Yeah, I bet they were good.
1: And octopus. Octopus actually didn't mind so much. I
0: liked octopus. I've had octopus. Mm-hmm. I ate the the um, the the um tentacles. They, they taste like pepperoni.
1: Yeah, they have those at the Chinese buffet, don't they? Yeah. The the one uh, Manchurian yeah, buffet at McKinley Mall? Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, getting into McKinley Mall. I, I like
1: the. I actually like the rare beef too. That's habit I picked up from my mother. She, she <laughs> I feel
0: like this has been like the most random conversation ever, but I, I guess that that's totally it. That's just like the essence of of, of you, Dad. It's like, that we can just like dive in, and that that's part of it. You know, that's that's kind of how we we are. We just are very much just. 100% into just a conversation, you know, and just letting it go wherever it goes.
1: Well, the particular uh, way my mind works, you know, I just like to uh, explain things, you know, like uh, it's it's actually, you know, like well, you were saying earlier, like a two-edged sword. I mean, it's... it's uh, it's a handicap and yet it's also a gift. It's a handicap in that I don't I miss a lot of what goes on around me, but it's a gift in that I can uh, reason through and figure things out better than well, I I can't speak for everybody, but better than a lot of people I would.
0: Better than the say. average bear.
1: Yeah, and uh, like the chicken problem, you know, working out the ancestry of the chicken. With uh, the mental energy I put into that, <laughs> and the detail I went into, I mean, see, I will even know, I don't believe anybody, I have, you know, you can't, you say, well, I mean, there has to be somebody else that could have done it. But I have my doubts. I really honestly believe that I wonder if anybody else could have done
0: it. Now, do you think that because of the original thought of it or just to be able to focus to enough? Through,
1: right? To follow through and figure some things out. Like, it's a puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. And figuring out some of those pieces, I mean, in the beginning... You and, it's, know,
0: and it's a long-term game, where you too. you have nothing
1: to really start from, or very little to start from. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I have to wonder if anybody else could have done it. I mean... I, I pick up details. I mean, it seemed seem like kind of like no-brainers, yet nobody else does it. I wrote to this uh, professor, Ben Dor- Mm-hmm. He's at uh, Virginia State. I finally found him, mm-hmm. Uh in his paper, they misidentified the uh, <laughs> the green beak as epidermal pigment instead of dermal. Oh, gosh. Duh, you know. Yeah, that seems like a no-brainer to me, but I did write him, and he actually is open, and I just haven't had a chance to write back to him. I, mean, I wrote back once and said, you know, I know he's busy, he doesn't have a lot of time to write, but if, as long as he's open he'll listen to me, I'll, I'll write him, you know, not expecting yep, yep, yep. a reply every time. But, I mean, I just pointed that out, and I had chicks this year that actually came pigmented all over. You see, there's two, you know, my... I, Thoughts are my findings on the two dermal pigment genes and one belongs to the red jungle fowl and the other one that combines with that first dermal pigment gene to make the black bone silky. All right, like I I
0: different. mean, I, I can't fake it. I mean, who who knows what dermal is in this room?
1: Well, you see, that that's it. You, you talk and you see, well, everybody knows what dermal pigment is. But dermal is, uh, there's two layers of skin. There's the epidermal layer and the dermal layer. The epidermal is, epi means outside, uh-huh. and then the dermal is the deep layer, Okay. and they're pigmented differently, in the chicken at least. I suppose in mammals too, although I haven't, I, I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, but uh, in chickens the epidermal pigment is the feathers. The dermal pigment is the skin itself. Okay and uh the dermal pigment makes the skin appear grayish or blackish, and uh it's unrelated to the feather color mm-hmm. and uh you can recognize the 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 silky chicken that has uh melanocytes uh deep inside the body producing melanin, which is your black pigment uh where it wouldn't it makes no sense uh the natural animal—they uh, follow certain rules. There's an economy of resources. Uh, uh, how I say it—I say melanin, melanin is an expenditure; it's an expense. Uh, when animals exist in caves, when they evolve in caves, you get these, like these blind cave fish and blind salamanders, and blah blah blah. They become totally. They lose all their pigment. They become pink, you know, or flesh-colored. Are those deep sea animals? They are clear. Uh, yeah. Well, or see through. That's uh, so basically, animals
0: outside of light.
1: Well, if there's no light and there's no need for pigment, uh, they lose it. I mean, apparently, it's enough of a survival advantage. To not be manufacturing pigment that they don't need, I mean, you think that is a trivial thing, but it's not trivial. <laughs> and and it, the proof is in uh, how animals evolve. But the fact that the silky chicken has pigment on the inside of the body and the, uh, you know, the connective tissue deep within the body, it makes no sense because there's no need for pigment to be there, and a wild creature would would not be. Uh, doing that the pigment would be on the skin that's exposed to light it would serve camouflage it serves to strength anyway
0: so it's basically it's a waste of energy
1: it's a waste of energy and and in nature there's no waste yeah so anyway uh you you separate this out what it is you have two genes operating the one gene is Dermal pigment in the red jungle fowl. It gives them the gray, slaty gray legs instead of white. Uh, The other, uh, together they cause...
0: We're talking about chickens, right?
1: This hyperpigmentation, talking about chickens. When you separate them, the only way you can recognize this other dermal pigment gene is that the newly hatched chick has a a pigmented beak. Kind of like a Mm bluish-grayish, or sometimes greenish. And it soon... Uh, becomes difficult to recognize when the bird gets older. Uh, the epidermal pigment, which is the same as the feather color, uh, leaks into the beak and changes, you know, kind of dominates the beak color and the uh, the dermal pigment in the beak is masked. It's hidden. But th- this year, and this is the first year it's ever happened, uh, I've gotten... Uh birds where the pigment the dermal pigment on this uh other dermal pigment gene alone is actually bleeding into the shanks, and I did get one chick that was totally pigmented shanks and all from the uh uh what they call a fire okay. <laughs> yeah no, so no. okay dad i mean the so other dermal I, i've kind of let you let fibromelanosis okay fibromelanosis. i've kind
0: of let you go for a while here now i'm now th- okay so in. so this is kind of an idea of what dad's obsession is like he's basically getting obsessed with the minute detail of the dermal and epidermal pigment of chickens and saying how this one um high professor like um like like basic authority in in this field uh, has has made an article that had got it wrong, and Dad knows the right answer, and he's he's talking about how it is obvious and how he has proven it. Now, this is this is basically you know like to the point where it's it's a level of science that it, it's kind of like a lot of sciences nowadays is it gets so specific and minute that you really would have a hard time even getting involved into it because you don't know half of what's even being referred to. Well, not everybody
1: would have the interest, but it, it's or, actually or, just the Or opposite. either the
0: knowledge of what's, what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like half, it, half the terms.
1: It's not specialized in that I've had to draw from uh, many different uh, fields of study. I've drawn a lot from ornithology. I've drawn a lot from morphology. Um, comparative vertebrate anatomy there is a problem in science today and this is another big thing this is, is at least is, are easily more important than uh, working out the ancestry of the chicken is that information is siloed people are so specialized that they kind of get lost in their specialization and you miss the forest for the trees uh, you need to back off and uh, take in the overall perspective. Of what what is this thing that I'm actually dealing with?
0: It's like that in medicine a lot today. Everyone specializing in the, young, the yes. general practitioners. Everybody. It? I mean, You're in, me in every system. every area is specializing. What
1: they need to do is uh, like what would be good is is like to study a related field in a related field, or maybe even an unrelated field, and they would gain some insight in their own specialty. They uh, would l- learn other methods, uh, mm-hmm. other ways of looking at things, and uh, uh, or maybe acquire. They could acquire new tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like oh, okay. Vid-
0: so so um, like like it, 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 it's definitely very interesting and everything. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, and it reminds me of the point that like someone with. Um, like there's that other element of intelligent people can sometimes seem very unintelligent because they are so much involved in whatever they're involved. Well, I in.
1: Well, I was going to tell you what I, that, I did that the other they day. don't
0: they don't put much more emphasis on the real world as much, and so they'll they'll. They'll miss out on certain things because their heads are in the clouds, and they might seem like an idiot to someone, but yet they're they're actually quite intelligent to um, people that uh, realize how intelligent they are.
1: Well, people people are quite different one from another. I mean, in their uh, way, the way they think, and what they've experienced, and uh, now to step into your head would be a totally. Alien experience. Or if you to step in my head would be a totally alien experience.
0: It <laughs> probably is very true. It would probably,
1: it might be even scary. But mm-hmm. uh, everybody is very. I mean, we're all like in a lot of ways, right? But uh, our 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 minds. Everybody's <laughs> mind is unique.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Totally different. But what I was going to tell you about with Pastor, see, I, I came back from Springville. I got him his camera and everything he wanted me. To pastor
0: be. being the the, yeah. the Mexican help you have. Yes,
1: and I was I was tired. You know, I'd I'd worked a long day Monday, and here I was back again Wednesday working and, and helping him out. And uh, was it Wednesday? Or, no, it wasn't. Thursday. Maybe it was. It don't matter. It was Thursday. It was Thursday. Okay. What? It don't matter. Anyway, I came and I was going to go out and get the skidster, you know, back by the case okay, so. pile. Not realizing that it was right there, but I was I was deep in thought and I walked right by the skidster <laughs> without even seeing it and pastors, hey, oh. whistled, you know, I thought that was so <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah, I know. I do I the same
0: out. shit. See, exactly. So that's an element where your head is like so focused on something that you miss what's right in front of your face.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I, I even forget what I'm holding in my hand sometimes. I get. <laughs> I, I. And I, I, I started
0: looking for where did I put that thing.
1: Oh, it's in my hand. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you ever do
0: that? Where, where or wear my glasses? They're they're on me. Yeah, I, I I I do. I do get that probably way more often than I should. But either way, um, that that was lots of fun, Dad. Um, so this will be the end of part one. Um, I hope hope you had a little taste of of the world of my father. Um, I've I've had had plenty of uh, this in my life, and uh, so you know, I think I can kind of wrangle. Well, I I should wrangle dad pretty well.
1: Making a dad a, a an
0: aned, addendum an addendum an uh, no <laughs> and yeah addendum right. Anyway, <laughs>
1: you know, I should go on. I mean, this you know it's fun, but there's more. Than that, I mean, I do empathize, empathize
0: with other people, and uh, I am working. You see what I mean? Like, I, I agree. Like, one second we can be, like, going way off the deep end in some subject or whatever, but yet we can also go back and kind of hit reality and kind of explain, okay, we get that um, what we were doing was kind of, you know, a little going over the deep end. And so it's kind of like, it's like self-awareness and self-awareness adds an extra element of kind of like okay if you have self-awareness you're not exactly what you know as as one di- one-dimensional as you might think a person is and so uh, that's what i think is kind of uh, interesting about this is that we might be who we are but we have a very strong element of self-awareness about it
1: and the fact that my life is a ministry i mean every person you meet in a sense, you're ministering to. I mean, it's like a conversation is like a give and take, but a lot of times you can bring something to a person that is helpful, that is positive.
0: Yeah. And Sometimes you they call it, it's like conversation sparring, you know, like, like you, you have a little match going on, you know, where it's a back and forth of like keeping up with people and... And uh, and and taking places down while also keeping it kind of um, under control and whatnot.
1: Well, it's nice that you have a give and take, but actually, uh, th- there's a certain amount of mental energy involved, and there's certain people, uh, immature people, that will like uh, want to gain all the energy. They will like like your sister suck said, it all in, suck all the energy out of the room.
0: Yeah, because they they're not
1: they're, they're on the take. Rather than making an, ex- an uh, equal exchange or giving the other person a chance to feed, it's like a f- like a feeding. Yeah, and So
0: so it makes it kind of die. Uh, the, the conversation. Well, dies. they
1: drain the people around them. Yeah. Rather what, than and- uh, than giving them something back, they're they're like taking it all. Uh, you know. Why? What? they'd be going on and on. Okay, imagine this is
0: NPR and I just said, okay, we got 30 seconds left, so let's wrap it up. Oh,
1: you're talking to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's basically... Say I, goodbye, I'm, man. I'm a little apprehensive about the second part, but I'm sure it'll go fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the second part is going get, to get for reals. This is going to be the the private just for my family. But uh I thought it'd be it'd be fun to have this first part just being lighthearted and talking about anything. So um signing off, finding the flow with Joel.